blood pressure, coronary artery calcification, and vitamin D. You're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and joining me is Dr. Thomas Wang, who is Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Harvard Medical School in Boston. Dr. Wang is a cardiologist and Associate Director for Heart Failure and Transplantation at the Massachusetts General Hospital. He has published extensively in the cardiology literature. And today we're going to be talking about vitamin D deficiency and the risk of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Wang, thanks for being with us. Welcome to ReachMD. Thanks very much for having me. This topic is going to be a little bit uh, different, maybe surprising to some of our folks. And as we talk about it, maybe we could get a little bit of your personal medical background and, and uh, what got you into uh, this particular field of uh, endeavor. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I am a heart failure cardiologist. I do much of my research on risk factors, clinical risk factors for heart disease, particularly those relating to heart failure and atrial fibrillation, two diseases that I frequently encounter on a clinical basis. The things that led me to be interested in vitamin D were largely twofold. On one hand, there is a large and increasing body of literature suggesting that vitamin D may have some very important effects on the heart. And since some of those effects particularly impact the risk of developing heart failure, it became a natural area of interest for me. The second was the personal connection to a colleague of mine, who studies vitamin D in renal dialysis patients and has done some important work demonstrating the importance of vitamin D deficiency as a potentially adverse prognostic predictor in this population. Uh, And he made me aware and made me think that if it's true of people with end-stage kidney failure, could it be true of people who don't have kidney failure? Got it. So even uh, even somebody who's not an endocrinologist can have a vested interest in this hormone and vitamin D. You uh, and your team published uh, in circulation last month an article that talked about vitamin D deficiency and the risk of cardiovascular disease. Could you give us a quick summary of uh, how you designed that and um, what your major results were? Sure. We looked at approximately 1,700 volunteers in the Framingham Heart Study who were examined in the mid-1990s with an examination that included measurement of vitamin D levels. And we looked at, over the next 10 years of follow-up, who in this group developed heart disease and whether the risk of developing heart disease over that time span was associated with the assessment of vitamin D levels that was done 10 years earlier. In other words, whether those who were deficient in vitamin D, in fact, had a higher risk of developing a cardiovascular event over the 10 years of follow-up. Our major finding was that, in fact, there was an association such that those who were vitamin D deficient according to a conservative definition that we used were approximately 60% more likely to develop heart disease over the ensuing 7 to 10 years. Well, that's a real number there, 60%. Let me just go back to your your design for a second. Did the ways we measured vitamin D... 10 years ago or or at the time of the uh, Framingham study or the offspring study, do we measure them the same as we do today and and are those correlations good enough in terms of what's normal and what's not? Well, the the molecule that's being measured is largely the same in that most people agree that for a population of people without kidney disease, it's adequate to measure the levels of a molecule called 25-hydroxyvitamin D, which is a precursor to the active vitamin D. And that, in fact, is a very good gauge of one's overall vitamin D status because it doesn't tend to fluctuate on a daily basis, and it's a good measure of overall vitamin D stores. 
Now, of course, over time, there are improvements in ways to measure it, such that your ability to measure it with precision increases over time. But again, the molecule that's being measured is the same. And so to the extent that it's the same findings from assays that were done years ago are still quite applicable to our knowledge today. Got it. And uh, now that we're talking about an association in the number that we're talking about is 60%, maybe you could put that strength in context with other uh, either classic risk factors or, or newer risk factors that we've heard about. Sure. Well, it, it fits rather nicely in between. Certainly some of the classical risk factors, including smoking and diabetes, would be associated with a stronger risk of heart disease, and which is no great surprise. On the other hand, a lot of the newer risk factors that are being described and reported in the literature in the last five or ten years, the effects of those risk factors are more in the range of what we found or even weaker than what we found, such that if our finding with vitamin D represents a true effect, then it would place vitamin D fairly solidly into the range of risk factors that we would be very interested in dealing with and understanding and potentially doing something about. You are at the Harvard Medical School, so I'm sure you have a lot of uh, interaction with students, residents, uh, probably fellows. Tell me, is this information something that is well-known, this correlation or possible correlation? Do you think people know about this? Do we need to change a little bit in our, our curricula, uh, how we teach people about risk factors and cardiovascular disease? I would say probably the most important thing for teaching students and trainees is that vitamin D and the effects of vitamin D on the body are much greater than we previously assumed back when I was attending medical school. Certainly, you and I probably learned vitamin D as a bone hormone, something right. important for musculoskeletal health. And the biggest difference over the last couple of decades in the understanding of vitamin D is a recognition that vitamin D is actually important for a lot of things in the body. It impacts multiple types of tissues and cells in multiple physiologic systems. That's probably the most important message at this point. The specific effects on the heart, I would say, are very intriguing, but still at the level of needing to be further established and further understood. And so, you know, perhaps to understand that there could be a connection with the heart is important, but I think we're far from having a complete understanding of what mm -hmm. those effects actually are. What's your plans uh, in terms of future research, or are you involved in anything right now sure. to take this another um, step? Well, certainly we are, and we're certainly interested in pursuing this, as, as many groups are interested in pursuing as well. The ultimate goal of any type of research like this would be to demonstrate whether or not treatment for vitamin D deficiency could lower one's cardiovascular risk. To be honest, I think we're still a little bit away from being able to perform such studies because we still don't really understand the mechanisms linking vitamin D to heart disease. And more importantly, we need to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that there is a true link before we could commit the resources and energies toward doing the interventional type of trials that would ultimately need to be done. And so personally, our group is interested in looking at some of the connections between vitamin D and what we call subclinical cardiovascular measures. In other words, the imaging measures and other measures that uh, look at precursors to heart disease, uh, for instance, coronary calcium, like you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and early atherosclerosis that you can see in the carotid arteries, and early heart disease that you can pick up by cardiac ultrasound. Those are some of the things that we're looking at now, partly to determine whether some of these could be used as surrogate endpoints if, if we were to go on to 
endpoint and intervention type trials. Right. So um, given that we have at this point observational studies, I assume no interventional trials as yet, would it be premature for our audience of physicians to make recommendations to their patients about vitamin D and cardiovascular disease? Yes, I would agree with that. Certainly, I would say that to target a certain vitamin D status based on the hope of reducing risk of heart disease would be premature because we just don't have that evidence. On the other hand, to the extent that any study like this increases awareness overall of the fact that most people probably don't take in enough vitamin D either in their diet or via sun exposure, that's probably an important thing. Because if you look at the guidelines for vitamin D intake that have been around for a while and again are based on bone health, it is likely true that a large proportion of people all over the country don't have intakes anywhere near those guidelines. Mm-hmm. Any idea what uh, what some of those numbers might be? What, what kind of population percentages are we talking about? Sure. Well, based on the measure of the endpoint, in other words, measures of vitamin D stores according to 25-hydroxyvitamin D levels in the bloodstream, we know that at least 30% of people are probably at least moderately vitamin D deficient. Now, that prevalence is certainly impacted by what population and what area of the country you're studying. There's areas of the country that receive more sunlight will tend to have fewer people with vitamin D deficiency. And season is obviously important as well, again, because of the sunlight exposure issue. But again, if you look across a broad number of populations, certainly in that ballpark, which I regard as a fairly large proportion of people, is what we're talking about in terms of the prevalence of vitamin D deficiency. Let's assume that your group's work that was published uh, last month makes it to a soundbite on the evening news and uh, patients come into their primary care physicians hearing about that. What's the take-home message to the docs? What should uh, primary care docs be telling their patients about what they've heard that uh, Dr. Wang is uh, espousing here? Well, you know, I think the general comment to their patients that vitamin D is important for their health for a number of reasons. We certainly know that it's important for the bones, but it may be important for other things. There's certainly a large literature on vitamin D deficiency and cancer risk. And if their patient asks, well, what about vitamin D and heart risk? It would probably be fair to say it's a possibility, and there's some evidence suggesting that, in fact, there may be an association, but further studies are ongoing to really try to nail this down. But the bottom line is we know that vitamin D is important, and we should think about whether you, the patient, are taking in enough vitamin D. I wish you luck with your future endeavors, and and our thanks to Dr. Thomas Wang for being our guest. We've been talking about vitamin D deficiency and the risk of cardiovascular disease. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming from your home or office. Thank you for listening.